This podcast is brought to you by 199.com. That's 19NINE.com. Go to 199 for your latest apparel, including vintage t shirts, retro college basketball shorts, and more. These guys have some of the greatest apparel on the market. Don't miss out today. Go to 199.com and get geared up for the summer. Now, here's today's podcast. In this episode, we chat with Mike O'Connor, head boys basketball coach and assistant athletic director at Dowling Catholic High School in West Des Moines, Iowa. Coach talks to us about the athletic culture of Dowling, including working with the highly successful football team, his role with the Iowa Basketball Coaches Association, his coaching style and philosophy, and some advice for fellow coaches. Let's get to it. Coach, I appreciate you joining us today. Let's jump right into it. Uh, highly successful coach in Iowa. Talk to us a little bit about your school, size, class, location, general culture, that type of thing. Well, Jeremy, first of all, thanks for having me on. Um, I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you today and and uh, hope that whoever listens to this, there's something there that they can take back to their own program. Uh, my name is Michael Connor. I'm the head boys basketball coach at Dowling Catholic High School in West Des Moines, Iowa. I'm also the assistant athletic director here. Uh, next year, I believe, will be my 19th or 20th year at the school as a whole, uh, and will be my 15th year as a head coach. Um, Dowling Catholic is the biggest Catholic school, private school in the state. Uh, we've got about 1,400 students, um, depending on the year. That puts us about in the middle of Class 4A. Class 4A is the biggest class in the state of Iowa. Um, there are 48 schools in Class 4A, and I would say we're probably somewhere between 20 and 25, again, depending on the year. Um, we've got outstanding academics and, and a tremendous history um, athletic-wise, so we're, we're very fortunate to be here and, and to be working at Dowling. And traditionally a football powerhouse as well. How many of your players play football and what's that working relationship with among the coaches and the sharing of athletes and all that? We, we are certainly a, a football school. Um, football is the front porch of our athletic department. Uh, you could probably make a pretty strong case that it's the front porch of our school in general. Um, I think one thing that I think about a lot as a basketball coach here and I tell our coaches is we have to know our role and that's something that we share with our players all the time but in our athletic department we have to know our role we have to know that we're not going to supersede football we're not going to overcome their successes um, a lot of times um, it can be challenging it can be difficult you, you feel like you're living in the shadow of your ultra successful older brother sometimes yeah um, but one thing that we've really tried to do is try to embrace it. And what are the things that they do that is that are successful that we can use? Um, are there things that they do on a yearly basis or a day-to-day -day basis that we can kind of tweak to basketball and use? And um, we try to do that. Uh, we've always had a big number of football kids on our basketball team. Um, this past year, um, I think we had five. Um, last year we had four and those were two of our smaller numbers. I would say it's usually anywhere from six to 10. Wow. Um, so it's a, it's a really, really big number. Um, our staff 
we believe in multi-sport athletes. So if we believe in it, then we, we're never going to complain about a kid going out for uh, football or baseball, whatever it is. That's what high school is supposed to be. High school is supposed to be about participating in as many sports as possible. And it's sad sometimes because I think we're trending away from that, especially at the big school setting. Kids are starting to specialize and be selective. And um, that's not really what it's supposed to be like. I'm not sure your background and where you went to high school at, but I was a 4A athlete here in the state of Iowa and I played two sports and, and never felt the pressure to specialize. And that was 20 years ago, but I think things have changed and I, I wish we would get back to that a little bit. Um, our athletic director here is Tom Wilson. He's also our football coach. Um, with me being the assistant athletic director, there's not anybody that I talk to in our building more than him. So he and I have a great relationship. We really don't have any issues sharing athletes. We kind of, again, we know our role. Uh, we know right now in June and July in a normal year that our kids are going to be lifting and they're going to be ramping up for football and we're going to be able to do some basketball stuff in June typically. But once we get into July, we kind of tone it down a little bit, pump the brakes. And that's when they really ratchet it up in the weight room. That's when they really start getting heavy into their off-season football workouts. Um, and if conflicts come up, he and I just talk about it. Um, before anything goes out in the summer, um, we kind of cross-check schedules. So we make sure we're not double booked. And um, we, we've been we've really never had a problem. Um, the only issue that I would ever complain about is that they've won seven state championships in a row, which means that we don't have our basketball kids the first week of season. <laughs> we usually have about four or five practices before we play. That gets challenging. Um, but we've certainly benefited from their success. Success breeds success. And those kids that play football come into basketball expecting the same thing. And that's certainly something that uh, benefits us a great deal. Absolutely. So with your basketball players and even the ones who are not playing football, is it the same lifting regimen in the summertime or are there, how does that, how does that work? Great question. Um, we have a program that we follow where everyone does the same core lifts. And then what they do for their auxiliaries is really up to the coach of the next sport that they're playing. And so for example, right now, if Jeremy and Mike are in the weight room and, and Mike's only playing basketball, Coach O'Connor may have five or six specific auxiliary lifts that I'm doing. Since Jeremy's going to be playing football, he'll, have, he'll do the auxiliary lifts that the football coaches want to do. So we get a little sports specific there, but the core lifts, your bench, your squat, your clean, um, the deadlift, those, those are universal for all of us. And then we get a little bit of flexibility with the auxiliary lifts. Gotcha. And then take us through a little bit. Uh, once you do have the whole team, um, are you, is there a basketball shape that you have to work with? Is there kind of installing offense and defense or are those things programmed kind of steady year after year? Man, that, that's a moving target. Um, are you talking about when we first get our kids at the start of the season? Yeah, at the start of the season. It really depends on the group we have coming back. If, if we have a pretty experienced group coming back, we'll kind of hit the ground running. Um, we won't do a lot of buildup. We won't do a ton of teaching because we've done some of that in the summer and the kids had it the previous year. If we have a younger group, um, we'll probably start closer to zero than we would with an experienced group. Um, 
we've never worried a great deal about conditioning. If you're structuring your practices properly, in our opinion, you should be getting plenty of conditioning through that. We, we shouldn't have to just put you on the line and run yeah. for 15 minutes to get you in shape. If we've done a good job planning practice, implemented some challenging drills, implemented some you know, more laid back drills that don't require quite as much conditioning, um, we feel like that should be plenty of conditioning. We, we've never really felt like taking 15 minutes to just run was the best use of our time. We'd rather shoot or work on ball screen coverages or transition defense, whatever it might be. Um, so really, I, I can't give you a, a clear answer on that because it, it really depends on, on the year and it really depends on the group of kids that we have. I will tell you this, no matter the group that we have, we will put a ton of time into fundamentals that first four or five days to get those kids back with a basketball and, and having it feel comfortable in their hands again, because many of them won't have done anything basketball wise in probably three and a half months. And as you know, it's just, it's tough to just pick up a basketball and, and get your touch back, whether it's dribbling it or whether it's with shooting it. So we will put a great deal of time in our ball handling, our passing, um, and specifically our shooting. Yeah. And what does your preseason look like maybe whenever you're able to get things started in August or September leading up to the actual season if you do have limited varsity contributors because they're playing football or other sports? Um, usually what we do is sometime in mid-September we'll start lifting and we'll lift twice a week. Um, in addition to that, uh, we usually do our lifting after school. It's usually Mondays and Thursdays after school from 3.15 to 4.15. Um, the kids will come in. We'll take them through a workout. And then on Tuesday and Thursday mornings, we don't start school until 8.30. So we bring the kids in at uh, 6.15, and we work out from 6.15 to 7.45. We'll do some speed and agility stuff, and then we'll just have open gym and let the kids okay. play. Um, we have participated in fall leagues in the past. Obviously, some years were better than others because we have to pull some younger kids up to play just to, just to fill a roster, but kids like to play. Uh, it's good for us to see them play and, and kind of it's another evaluation tool for us. So between the, the weightlifting, the, the morning open gyms and our fall league, that's typically what a, a, a fall will look like. And like I said, we'll start in mid-September. We'll take that right up until the, through the first week in November. And then we usually give the kids a week off uh, to kind of get their grades right and get their bodies fresh before we start practice in the middle of November. Gotcha. Gotcha. When coaches of other teams think about playing you guys, what do you think comes to mind or what would you want to come to mind? Well, I'll answer from my, what I hope comes to mind. Um, first of all, I think, the one thing that all of us as coaches would want other coaches to say about us is that our kids play hard. And I hope that when other coaches watch our team play, whether it's live or whether it's on film, um, they can feel our effort, they can feel our energy in anything that we are doing. Now, having said that, we're living in a, a unrealistic world right now saying our kids play hard all the time, but more times than not, they feel like our kids play really, really hard. Um, defensively, I, I know this is going to sound generic, but I hope they feel like it's going to be really tough to score. They are really sound positioning wise. Uh, they are really sound pressure wise. We're not going to get any easy baskets. 
We're not going to get many second chance points. We're going to earn every point that we score tonight. Um, and then offensively, again, I know this sounds really simple, but I hope they feel like the stuff that we run is hard to guard, um, that we're being aggressive and putting the defense on their heels. And then maybe most importantly, offensively, I hope that they feel like what we're doing is unselfish, that our players are making plays for one another. We don't have one guy that's out there trying to get 25 and the rest of them are trying to help them. We've got a bunch of guys that are trying to get to 55, 60 points as a group. And talking with other coaches um, that you guys see consistently throughout the year, one of the things that came, came up was your preparation and in-game adjustments. So I'm curious, what does that look like as you go head into a game? And then um, are you kind of mindful of certain things that you might have to alter throughout the course of the game? Yeah, we are. I will tell you this, and, and this is probably as much of a flaw as it is a strength. Um, but with us, what you see is usually what you get. Um, the adjustments we may make, some go in some disorder in some, in some capacity. Number one is we have to do it harder. We have to play harder. Um, well, we're getting killed in ball screen. Well, maybe we need to do a better job of getting over the top and, and, and hedging it or, or giving help with our big guy or getting better nail coverage. We have to do a better job there. We have to play harder. Um, then we'll look at changing personnel. And if those two things don't work, frankly, we don't have enough practice time to really have option B and C in. Right. Uh, we have to be really good with option A. As as I mentioned before, we lose the first seven days of practice with all of our kids the last seven years because of football. That limits us because once we get into games, we just don't have as much time. But um, adjustments, playing harder, adjust your personnel. Um, and then after that, if those two don't work, you're probably in trouble that night. And then we <laughs> would go back to practice and, and probably focus on that area and get better at it. Yeah. Um, but in terms of in-games adjustments, we are a predominantly man-to-man -man team. We've shown zone at times just to keep people off balance. Um, I don't know that we've done it for any extended period of time recently, uh, meaning game after game after game. It might be a position, possession here, possession there, but really our in-game adjustments might be a simple, okay, how we're gonna tweak our ball screen coverage with the one or two different options that we have. And then, like I said, get your kids to play harder yeah. or change your personnel. I love it. When current or former players thinking, uh, think back about their days or, or their current days playing for you and, and, and playing, uh, what do you think comes to mind or what would you want to come to mind? Um, the first thing that I hope comes to mind is that it was a really positive experience. And that can mean a lot of different things. Um, but to me, it means that, number one, they look back at playing in our program and good memories come to mind. Um, they feel like they formed strong relationships with their teammates and their coaches, relationships that hopefully they still have some of those to this day. Um, I hope that they feel like being a part of our program helped them grow as a person. Um, we hope that they were able to learn valuable life lessons by being a part of this. Um, this is high school basketball. And as important as winning is, I don't believe it should be the ultimate determining factor of, of if you had a successful season. 
our job as high school educators and coaches is to help these kids grow as young people and help them become better. Um, and that's really what I hope when our kids look back on their time here that, you know, I, I enjoyed it a lot. I, I created great relationships with my coaches and with my teammates and the coaches taught us life lessons. I grew as a person. Some of the things that I learned, I still apply to this day. That's really what I hope comes to mind. And obviously the, the fun things, the big wins are always a part of that. The team meals, the service projects that we do, um, any funny team moments maybe we had in a locker room or on a bus. Um, but by and large, it's those relationships and it's those life lessons that, that I hope come to mind. To, to dig a little bit deeper, what are maybe some tangibles about relationship building or, or team building? Um, is, it, is it certain off the court things or is it more on the court in the locker room? Um, how do you guys go about developing the relationships, both coach to player and, and also player to player? Well, I think it's a little bit of everything you just mentioned. I think there has to be some off the court. I think there has to be some on the court. I think there has to be some locker room. Um, I also think building that team chemistry and those relationships is a responsibility of everyone. Um, we always talk to the kids and we share with our parents too that one of the expectations about being a part of our program, one of our foundations and pillars is, is building relationships, valuing relationships and relationships aren't a one-way street. It takes two, two people. Um, it takes the player and the coach both adding to that relationship for it to be successful. If you were to look back and ask me about some of the best relationships that I've had personally with some of our players, usually it's the ones that have worked to have a good relationship with me too. Um, and that's just funny how it goes. The, the, the individuals that put the time and energy and effort into a relationship usually have a pretty good one. Yeah. And we're at a school, uh, we're very fortunate here that our kids come from great home lives and many of our kids, I can just be the coach. I don't have to be a father figure of sorts. I can just be who I'm hired to be. And that's the basketball coach and another role model and example for them in their life um, that they don't need a relationship with me like they might need with, with another coach. Um, but I, I think relationships are, are a two-way street. That's important. I think your seniors and their character um, their personalities go a long way in building your, your team chemistry and your relationships as well. Those seniors have to be salesmen of your program. They have to make those underclassmen feel welcome and feel comfortable and help them transition. And we've been very fortunate to have great kids. Um, myself, our staff, we can't take a great deal of credit for that. That's all the parents of the kids that we have that are willing to reach out to those younger kids and, and make them feel welcome and invite them and um, make them feel like they're a part of the team when we start our workouts in June when sometimes they just met those kids for the first or second time on a real intimate level. Um, so senior leadership is really, really important. We try to assign seniors to a junior and those seniors responsibility is to reach out to that junior kind of keep them up to date on what's going on, remind them of team activities that are coming up that kind of foster some ownership and some relationships that way. Um, we do some off the court stuff. We do lots of team meals during the year. We do some service projects. 
Um, seeing one another away from the basketball court is a very, very important thing. Um, last year, I think we went bowling. Again, another way to see people in a different light. And then one of the things that I've had to do, Jeremy, is my job as assistant athletic director doesn't allow me to get out into our building as much as it did when I was teaching. When I was teaching, I would see a handful of kids every day, whether it was in my class or whether it was in the hallway. Uh, now what we do with our varsity kids is they have to come in and meet with me once a week during the season. Um, they can, they have a day, they're scheduled to come in, they can come in anytime during the day and we'll just sit and talk. And, and usually early in the year, it, it focuses around basketball, but as the year progresses and roles are established, it turns into how are you doing? What are you looking at next year for college? Where do you need help at? How's the girlfriend? How are your parents? Whatever it may be. And honestly, we would prefer those conversations not be around basketball um, because both myself and the student athlete that I'm speaking with, we're more than just a coach and an athlete. We're, we're human beings much more often than we are basketball coaches and, and basketball players. So getting to know the person a little bit better is really, really important. So those, those are kind of our beliefs and kind of what we look at and kind of some of the things that we do um, in building those relationships. That's awesome. Um, and then do your, do your, on your staff, do you have uh, coaches that are also in the building and are, able, are they able to facilitate those relationships with, with younger players too, or is that more difficult? That's much more difficult for us. One of the things that is a huge obstacle for us here is that I'm the only coach that's in the building. Okay. That's not great. Um, so we don't have the ability to, to have those meetings with our younger players. Now, we do talk to our, our lower level coaches about finding time every week to just pull one, two, three kids aside and check in with them, see how they're doing. Um, we are constantly reminding them to do that. But I'll be honest with you, for coaches who aren't in education, I think sometimes that's hard for them to understand. Um, and if you look back to when you were in high school, when I was in high school, relationships weren't, weren't, um, weren't a big thing then. The coach was kind of an authoritative figure and whatever he said, you did and you didn't question it. And you weren't really there trying to build a relationship with coach. Your way of building a relationship with coach was doing whatever he asked of you to the best of your ability. Yep. And if you did that, you had a pretty good relationship with coach. Exactly. And if you didn't, uh, you might not have as good relationship with coach. And that's just not how it is anymore. So that's one thing that not just as a basketball coach, but as assistant AD here, and our, our AD would tell you the same thing. The coaches that we have out of the building, it's just harder for them to understand what goes on in the building, what the expectations are, and how important those relationships really are. So I, in my ideal world, all of our all of our coaches would be teachers, but we don't live in an ideal world. And um, the coaches that we have both in our basketball program and out have done a pretty good job of, of trying to adhere to those things. But I think sometimes it's difficult to get them to, to feel the true value in all of that, the way that a, that a teacher might or someone who's in the building might, but it is challenging. No question. Uh, the final question here, what advice would you give a coach um, perhaps a young coach, but but not necessarily, just any coach kind of um, based on your experiences so far. Um, I thought about this one a lot. Um, I'm a walker and I've gone on a couple walks since you kind of shared with me some of the things that we were going to discuss. And I, 
I don't feel I'll say I'll I'll say I don't feel confident enough because I don't want to be arrogant of what I would tell a young coach. But these are things that I would tell myself at 27 when I got a, a head coaching job of things that I would try to do differently. Number one, stubbornness is not a great quality. Um, don't be afraid to change just because you thought you had all the answers. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean you did have all the answers. And just because something isn't working doesn't mean you should necessarily always try harder. It's okay to tweak things. It's okay to change. That's, that's normal. The coach that you are when you first take over and the coach you are five years later is going to be, I don't want to say completely different, but there's going to be a different set of beliefs that you had five years in than when you did when you first started. So don't be afraid to change and, and don't be stubborn. Um, those are the, those were two that came to mind right away. I would tell you this too, as a high school coach, none of us really want to hear this, but I think it's the truth. Relationships with your parents are important. And if you're going to last, I think you have to at least have open lines of communication and your parents have to feel like you are approachable. Um, you don't always have to agree. Um, but they need to at least feel like they can call you and talk to you about an issue that you have. Uh, we try to make phone calls home every spring to our parents here uh, of the kids that are going to play with us that summer. And we just ask them about, do you have questions about the summer? Um, do you have questions about your son specifically? And then it's funny how kind of some of those things delve into some other conversations and some other questions and answers, which you start to build a relationship. Um, we send an email out every week, a weekly email at the very bottom of it. One of the things we always put in there, if you ever have questions, please don't hesitate to call. And, and some people will believe that and other people will say, well, you're just saying that and th that's fine. That's the way it goes. In our parent meeting um, in the beginning of October, we always tell the parents, you're more than welcome to call us whenever you want. When you call us, you have to be prepared for honesty. If you're going to be honest with us and tell us that you're upset about your son's playing time or about how he's treated, you need to be prepared for us to be honest with you about some things that maybe you don't know that are going on on a daily basis. So I, I think relationships with your parents are really important. I would take it a step further and tell you that as a head coach, you better have a really good relationship with your best players' parents uh, because that's a great way for buying and support. It's funny how those good players' parents tend to have a, a little bit of pull and street credibility with some of your younger, uh, your other team members' parents, uh, it, it's, it's important that you have a couple allies in the parent community that can kind of go to bat for you and help you. So I, I think that's really, really important. I, I think if you want to last someplace and last in this profession, those relationships with parents is, is important. And I struggled with that at first. I learned that the hard way. Um, but again, I got away from my stubbornness and what I knew growing up and my parents never talked to the coach. I would have been scared to death if they did right. that. That's the way it is now. Parents talk to coaches and you have to embrace that a little bit. Um, continue to grow. Always have the desire to learn. Uh, don't be, I talked about this earlier, don't be afraid to change, but just because you learn something doesn't mean you have to do it. But if you think it fits your team, don't be afraid. Um, I think one thing that we really failed at here, when we say we, it's me, um, is early on, I thought we have to run this. 
this is what we have to do to be successful. Well, in high school, contrary to popular belief, we don't get to recruit all our players. So every year, your personnel is going to be a little bit different. And what worked for you last year may not fit next year's group. So when you're learning uh, and you see something you like, if you think it fits your next group of personnel, then use it, try it. Just because you're changing every year, I think some of us get scared of that, myself included. But the older I've gotten, the more I've realized that if I don't change, if I don't adjust what we're doing to the personnel that we have, I may be doing them a disservice and I may not be putting them in the best situation possible to be successful. Um, another piece of advice, and this is a personal thing that I hear coaches do a lot, I versus we. When people use the word I, it just sticks out of me. I did this, I did that. Try to use the word we or our as much as possible. Obviously there are some situations where you have to say, I did this or it was on me, but as much as possible, use the term we, use a team, our team, we did this, our team did this. That's just a little thing that I think goes a long way. And I think people feel that when you use that verbiage, I think it feels more collective. It feels more as a team instead of me versus you. Um, I, I, I think that's a, that's a more of a nitpicky one. That's a, that's a personal annoyance more than anything else. But those are a couple that came to mind. Um, the last one I'd probably tell you is as a coach, you need to, you need to figure out what you're comfortable with and what you're not comfortable with. And really your philosophy coaching wise should be built around that. Defensively, what are you comfortable giving up? Whatever you're comfortable giving up, then build a defensive philosophy around that. Offensively, what do you want? Um, whatever it is that you're working for, create an offense around that. But you can't do everything. If you try to do everything, you're, you're not going to be good at anything. Jack of all trades, master of none. You've got to pick the few things, especially at this level where practice time is so limited, that you want to be really good at. And I would encourage coaches, be good at the things that happen the most. Figure out the things that you think happen the most and try to get really good at those things. Love it. Coach, great stuff. I appreciate the conversation, and and um, we really look forward to, to getting this out and, and having other coaches learn about uh, the success that you guys have had. Well, thanks again for having me, and, and I, I hope uh, that listening coaches are able to take something away. Absolutely. Take care, Coach. Keep in touch. Thank you. You too. Coaches, thanks for tuning in to our chat with Mike O'Connor, and until next time, impact somebody else.